What's happening, everybody? On today's show, a look at what the SEC nine-game schedule and three permanents could look like. And Nick Saban doesn't like it. Also, we got some SEC hoops news, some news from the Combine, ton of stuff to get into. Locked on SEC starts right now. You are Locked on SEC, your daily podcast on the Southeastern Conference. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And what is happening, everybody? Welcome into Locked on SEC. It's great to have you guys along. I'm Chris Gordy. Thanks for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. And remember, Locked on SEC is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube and at LockedOnSEC.com. Well, we got to jump into it. Before we get into Combine and SEC hoops and all that kind of stuff from over the weekend, we got to jump into a story that came out on Friday. Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated putting out there that uh, he's hearing this is presumably what a nine-game SEC schedule would look like with the three permanent crossovers. Again, this is not official. Uh, Ross said, speaking to league insiders, this is our best educated guess of the three permanent opponents for each SEC team if the league moves to a nine-game model. So here's how it breaks down. Alabama would preserve their rivalries with Auburn and Tennessee and LSU. It's a pretty tough road to go. Uh, Arkansas would get Missouri, Texas, and Ole Miss. Auburn would get Bama and Georgia, and then Vandy into the mix, because that's the only way you can really come to terms with having to play Bama and Georgia every year. Uh, Florida would get uh, Georgia, South Carolina, and Oklahoma. Kind of a weird new rivalry that could form between Florida and Oklahoma. Uh, The Bulldogs of Georgia, they would get Florida, Auburn, and Kentucky. Speaking of the Wildcats, Kentucky would get Georgia, South Carolina, and Mississippi State. I've talked to several Kentucky people say, why the hell do we have to keep playing Mississippi State? It's not a real rivalry. Stop trying to make fetch happen. Uh, LSU would get Texas A&M, Ole Miss, and Alabama. Get to that in just a sec. Ole Miss would uh, get their Egg Bowl with Mississippi State. Long-time rivalry with LSU. And Arkansas, on the flip side, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Kentucky, and Texas A&M. Uh, Missouri would get Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Vandy. Oklahoma, the newbie, they would keep their rivalry with Texas, bring back an old rivalry with Missouri and Florida, like we mentioned. Just weird. South Carolina, they would get Kentucky, Florida, and Tennessee. The Vols would get Bama, South Carolina, and Vandy. I think a lot of Vol fans would sign up for that. Texas would get Oklahoma, A&M, and Arkansas. Bring back the old Southwest rivalry. Uh, A&M would get LSU, Texas, and Mississippi State. Again, maroon and maroon. I don't know if A&M fans are clamoring to keep that Mississippi State rivalry going. Uh, And then Vandy, they would get Tennessee, Auburn, and Missouri. Again, this is uh, Ross Dellinger saying this is in no way official, but Nick Saban was very vocal about this in Dellinger's article, offering some insight. He said that Alabama... Of course, looking to have Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU on their schedule. Saban said, look, I've always been an advocate for playing more conference games, but if we play more games, I think you have to get the three fixed opponents right. And they're giving us Tennessee, Auburn, and LSU, all right? I don't know how they came to that decision. He went on to say they said they did a 10-year whatever. Some of those years, Tennessee wasn't as good 
as they've been in the previous 10 years. So now they're as good as they used to be before those 10 years. Basically saying, like, they looked at it based on how teams have, uh, you know, been really good or bad or down or whatever in recent years. Well, Saban's basically saying, yeah, I get you want to keep the Tennessee rivalry going, but we were all for that when Tennessee sucked. We're not for that now that Tennessee looks to be pretty good. And Saban brings up this point. It's a pretty interesting point. He said, look historically over 25-year history of the conference. The three best teams in the East have been Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida. You look historically at the West, Alabama, LSU, and Auburn are the three best teams. So we're playing them all. Saban questioned using, you know, ten year, a 10-year time frame, if that's the right one to use. He said they only did it over 10 years. Now you got name, image, and likeness. Changes the whole dynamic because it's who has the most money to pay players until they change the rules. I like playing more SEC games. I think it's good for the SEC, good for the fans. I think they have a better chance to get the parity right doing uh, the eight games, talking about the balance of who has who. Uh, this is what's important, right? I mean, we got to figure out what rivalries are, re- are we going to preserve. And keep in mind, the schedule is going to rotate. So every other year, you're going to see a team you didn't see the year prior in the SEC. It's going to be a rotational thing. So I don't know if the permanent three matters that much. Uh, Saban, obviously, when he talks, the conference listens, carries a lot of weight. So we will see uh, if his opinion changes things here. And then some folks from LSU were vocal, uh, talking about you know their permanent rivalry. Look, the rivalry with Ole Miss is one that goes back a long time. I think they first met back in the 1890s. Uh, same thing with AM. That was a long time rivalry for LSU that ended and then picked up, of course, when the Aggies came back to the conference. And LSU Alabama has been historically just a a great series ever since Saban got to Bama. And Alabama's owned the rivalry, yes, but a lot of those games come down to the wire. A lot of those games have been very close. And LSU's gotten their fair shot in the past couple years. They've gotten a couple wins here and there. Um, it just becomes, you know, look, if you think of it from a perspective, if you're an LSU, do you want to see Bama every year on the regular schedule or every other year? And then those years where you don't see them on your schedule, you're probably, you know, good chance maybe you see them in the SEC championship game anyway if Georgia or Tennessee or Florida's not there. So, anyway, it, it say all this to say, There's no right way to get this done other than I think you try to preserve the best rivalries, right? I think keeping the Iron Bowl is plus. I think keeping Alabama-Tennessee, you got to do. I think Auburn-Georgia is one you want to preserve. I think Florida-Georgia, you want to preserve. The Egg Bowl, Ole Miss-Mississippi State, you got to keep. And then talk about the newbies. We want to see Texas versus Texas A&M. We want to see Texas versus Oklahoma. And I think those are kind of the ones you start with. And then you kind of go on from there. I know there are certain schools that want to play others, but there's just no right way to do this where it's going to be fair for everybody. Somebody's going to get messed over with an imbalanced schedule. But again, I think this is just kind of how it comes. And for Auburn folks, I know some have been vocal. (laughs) Do we really want to play? Alabama, Georgia, hey, turns out they've been pretty good the last four or five years. Do we really want to play them permanently every year. Again, this is your chance with things changing. You can end some of these long-term, long-time rivalries and just chalk it up to change happens. But it does feel like the SEC, 
very proud of its history, rivalries, and, and history. I think they're going to try to preserve a lot of those longtime um, rivalries. And, uh, again, it's going to be tough on some of those teams that have to get through it. But I don't think – I'll say this. What Ross has put out there, I don't think it'll stay like this. I think we'll see some changes here in the coming uh, weeks to months when the SEC does officially announce uh, who the permanent crossovers. It, it, by all signs, though, it does sound like the SEC will officially go to the nine-game schedule. So I think that Ross is pretty clear that they're going to go to that. It just becomes who are your three permanent crossovers and I say crossovers, there will be no SEC East or West. That'll go by the wayside with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the conference, make it 16 teams. But look, I, I, I think the rotations work. We want to go places we don't normally go. It's ridiculous when we go 10 years without Alabama going to the swamp. More rotations, more, more chances to see SEC teams you don't normally get to see. And then on top of it, adding some two great teams in Texas and Oklahoma that will uh, add some fun road trips as well as, um, you know, think of Texas and Oklahoma fans. They're going to be uh, spending a lot of money in the next couple of years wanting to take road trips. They haven't gotten them taken forever. Now, Texas, Texas will get a little glimpse going to Alabama this year, going to play in Tuscaloosa. So, um, again, get a little taste of that. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. And, again, we will see when the official news comes out on who the permanent Three teams are for every team. Who gets screwed over the most? <clears throat> Auburn fans think it's them. Alabama fans, Tennessee fans, <laughs> LSU fans. Somebody's going to get screwed over here. But it is what it is. It's uh, where we're moving with the conference expanding, and somebody's going to have an unfair adjustment to make. We'll talk more on this in the coming weeks as we get more official news on uh, how the permanent uh, scheduling is going to look for the SEC going to the extra uh, two teams uh, expanding to 16. Thank you guys for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Coming up next, we're going to get you caught up with some news from the Combine over the weekend. Anthony Richardson, number one. We'll tell you what he did over the weekend to vault up the charts. Hey, uh, this episode is presented to you by our friends over at Built Bar. If you are looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and the calories, you got to go try a Built Bar. We are uh, well into the new year here, and that means you got to start doing something right, making some healthier choices, and that means uh, you need to go check out Bill Bars. What makes them so good? Well, for starters, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. They come in unbelievable flavors like the churro, peanut butter brownie, coconut almond. Not sure how they do it, but they've got great macros that are healthy for you. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. So you can go check them out at Built.com. Check out all their great flavors. They're always coming out with some new ones. And you can also find them now at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. That's right. Go over to Built.com right now. Check out the cookies and cream, the double chocolate, the coconut puffs, whatever it is. And you can find them, order them today from Built.com, or go find them, like we said, at Sam's Club or Walmart. Built Bar, try them today. Going along here, locked on SEC, and man, we had some uh, we had some interesting storylines come out from over the weekend from some SEC guys up at the combine in Indianapolis. And look, I know a lot of you are just 
SEC football fans, and once these guys move on to the pros, you're kind of, eh, whatever. There's a big contingent that still roots for those guys, right? I mean, if, if it was a favorite player of yours at Bama or Kentucky or Tennessee, whatever, you're going to cheer for him at the next level and um, hope he does well. So let's get into a little bit of what we saw over the weekend at the Combine in Indianapolis. First off, Bryce Young, projected by many to be the number one quarterback and possible number one overall pick if somebody trades up the Chicago Bears. But uh, got all the talent in the world, got all the skills in the world and what he put on film in Alabama. But the big question was his measurements, his height. And over the weekend, Bryce Young officially listed in as 5'10 and an eighth of an inch and 204 pounds. It uh, was worth noting that Bryce Young was listed as six feet tall at Alabama. So they kind of got it wrong there on their on the website with what he was listed. But the 204 pounds was a nice surprise. Some people were expecting him to measure in under 200 pounds. So that was good for him. But some people were saying, eh, maybe it's just water weight. So Bryce Young start packing on the protein. Maybe eat some built bars and put on some more muscle because <laughs> uh, you're going to be judged by that. People saying he's got a slight frame. And uh, for reference, his numbers are almost identical to Kyler Murray in 2019. Uh, Murray was three pounds heavier. Bryce Young does have slightly bigger hands than Kyler Murray. Uh, and, of course, Kyler Murray runs a lot more than Bryce Young. I have to say Young's not mobile. He is. But Bryce Young's always that willing passer, always keeping his eyes down the field, wanting to make the pass as opposed to tucking and running it, which he would do when he had to. That last drive at Texas this past season, we saw that firsthand. But we'll see. Is Bryce Young still the first? Still going to be the first quarterback off the board? Well, he's got some competition. C.J. Stroud from Ohio State looked very good over the weekend. But out of the SEC, Will Levis talked about on, on Thursday he wanted to Put on display uh, his, his cannon, um, arm cannon on display for NFL teams, and he did just that. The NFL, um, you know, everybody on the field kind of stopped when Levis was taking his turns, throwing the deep balls and airing it out. Uh, one of the notes, uh, this guy, Will Levis, there was, in fact, a noticeable buzz in the building when he stepped up there and everyone was waiting to see him just air it out. So Levis impressed very much so with his arm talent throwing darts up there in Indianapolis and I think he locked himself into being a top 10 pick another guy who man he if Will Levis buzz was big Anthony Richardson buzz was slightly bigger the Florida quarterback was electric on Saturday first off through the workouts he ran a 4-4-3 40-yard dash he weighs close to 250 pounds. Is the fourth best time by a combine quarterback since 2003. Jumped like an elite receiver. A 40 and a half inch vertical, a 10 foot nine broad jump. The vertical was a record for a combine quarterback since 03. And all his throws were great. I mean, the, the ball jumped out of his hands, particularly on the long passes, which we saw him do at times at Florida. Firing 65-yard throws down the field and then 12-yard outs. The arc on his deep throws were incredible. So I think Anthony Richardson has certainly solidified himself as a top 10. It's funny, I saw some people saying, oh, maybe my team could get Richardson at 12 or 14. Brother, he ain't going to be there. I think all four quarterbacks, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, and Anthony Richardson, based on what we just saw from the combine over the weekend, 
are all going top 10 in this draft. I don't know where they're going. I don't know how it's all going to shake out. But three of the top four quarterbacks in this draft, all from the SEC, I think are all going in the top 10. Kudos to Anthony Richardson, though. Look, his biggest problem is what he put on film at Florida. 53% completion percentage this year. And he could chalk it up to bad play calling, bad coaching from Billy Napier. He could chalk it up to, hey, man, I didn't have Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Jamison Williams, John Mechie. I had Justin Shorter and Xavier Henderson and, you know, decent receivers but not studs. You can make a case for that. But uh, nonetheless, Anthony Richardson turned a lot of heads, as did Will Levis. We'll see where those guys go. Be By the way, another um, guy that – uh, spoke at the combine, but didn't go through any workouts. Hendon Hooker, Tennessee quarterback, still coming back from that ACL injury just three months ago. He said he's on track to potentially start week one in the NFL. So that is a big update for Hendon Hooker. Let's uh, see what happens with him. A couple other SEC guys, Jalen Hyatt, uh, the Tennessee wide receiver. He looked really good. Um, when he was able to run, posted a 4-4-0, 40-yard dash. Some were expecting a sub-4-4 time, but his speed will play in the NFL. On a 4-4-1 run, the network showed he was still faster than what Julio Jones and Justin Jefferson ran at their combine. So Jalen Hyatt expected to be one of the top wide receivers in this draft. In fact, uh, Jordan Addison, who a lot of people have ranked higher than Jalen Hyatt, ran slower. His best 40 time was a 4.49, and according to some reports, did not measure well. So maybe Jalen Hyatt jumped Jordan Addison on some NFL teams' draft boards. Devon A. Shane, the AM running back, he met with the media on Saturday, said he was chasing one of the all time 40 yard record uh, dash records, one held by John Ross. He said, Look, I don't know, man. We're going to see. Would like to beat Ross's 4.22. Well, he didn't do bad. Devon A. Shane came in with a 4-3-2 second-time run unofficially. Uh, was tops among running backs who had run the drill. Third overall for all players at the Combine. And then Alabama running back Jameer Gibbs. He ran an unofficial 4-3-6. So Gibbs and A. Shane both showing off their speed. Uh, a lot of people think B. John Robinson, the Texas running back, will be, will be the first one off the board. But Jameer Gibbs right behind him, and A-Shane not far behind him. So maybe Gibbs and A-Shane fall to the second round, but they won't go any further past that. So a good showing there from a lot of the SEC guys over the weekend. Oh, Darnell Washington from Georgia also put on a show. Sled, uh, making one-handed catches. He was phenomenal. So uh, shout-out to all the SEC guys who performed very well up in Indianapolis and – Shout out to all the Big Ten guys and Pac-12 guys who look slow and drop their stock. Uh, thank you guys for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Coming up next, we're going to go around the conference. we got some uh, current SEC football tidbits we got to get to. That's next. Going along here, locked on SEC, and uh, we, we talked about future SEC scheduling. We talked about guys who just played in the SEC, heading off to the NFL. Let's get to some tidbits talking about current SEC stuff. Let's go around the conference. Boots out to the right. Makes the handoff. Throws. Into the ball. What a catch. 
around the conference. And we start over at Georgia as Rara Thomas's felony charge has been dismissed. According to a report, Thomas was suspended by Georgia since his arrest back in January, was charged with felony false imprisonment and misdemeanor battery, family violence, first offense, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting that the felony charge was dismissed on Friday. And uh, Thomas has also entered a pretrial diversion program to resolve the misdemeanor charge. The requirements of the program include anger management classes and community service. So Thomas transferring this offseason after playing for Mississippi State the last couple years, had almost 900 yards and 12 touchdowns in his collegiate career. He's transferring into Georgia along with Dominic Lovett from Missouri. And it's sounding like he's going to be good to go and uh, case being resolved. Likely going to clear the way for him to rejoin Georgia's football program this spring, and it should be a go for the fall. Uh, good news for Georgia, bad news for the rest of the SEC. Big-time playmaker there. Going to be catching passes from Carson Beck, Brock Vandergriff. We'll find out very soon. Meanwhile, over at Florida, Billy Napier's squad hit the practice field on Saturday, but obviously a, a couple of their units missing position coaches. Last month, Florida saw three assistant coaches head to the NFL for other opportunities. Napier uh, did bring in Austin Armstrong as their new defensive coordinator, but is yet to hire position coaches at tight end and wide receiver. After practice on Saturday, Napier talked about it. He said, look, I'm not just going to flip a coin and hire a guy. If we have a person in place that we think is capable, we'll make those moves quickly. If we don't, then we're going to be very thorough. So we're making progress in that area. We should have some news here shortly. Uh, as for off-field staffers stepping into on-field roles, Napier said, we're built to handle, handle attrition to some degree. The layers that you've got in each room, whether it's analyst, grad assistant, or a student, whatever we have in those rooms, we've been able to management. Makes sense, right? I mean, just because a guy left, we don't want to just jump into promoting a guy or, you know, oh, let's go hire that guy. Do your due diligence. You got time. But um, as you go through spring, you do want to make sure you get the right hires because, you uh, Florida's got to make a little improvement there in the tight end spot and the wide receiver room. Seemed like took a little bit of a step back last year. I like Keon Zipper a lot, just production wasn't there this past year. Meanwhile, over at South Carolina, they will be losing a running back and Lavoisier Carroll as he announced his playing career has come to an end. He announced on Friday he was retiring, citing a recent medical diagnosis. He thanked the University of Georgia for signing him out of high school and then South Carolina taking him in as a transfer. He said, I used to believe losing a game or having a to miss a few weeks of practice was the biggest setback I would experience. The pain of losing a game will never compare to that of having to walk away from football. It pains me to have to come to terms with my recent medical diagnosis. I'm going to have to say goodbye to the game that has been by my side as long as I can remember. So best of luck to Lavasia Carroll calling it quits on his career. Meanwhile, over at Alabama, they are going to have to replace a veteran staffer in their program heading to the Pac-12 buff zone, reporting that Deion Sanders set to hire Sal Sinceri to coach defensive tackles and fill a vacancy on their coaching staff. He would replace Patrick Hill. The 63-year-old Sinceri spent the last four years at Alabama where he worked alongside Charles Kelly uh, at Alabama, since he was a senior special assistant to the head coach. I actually spoke with him very briefly at the Lombardi Awards this offseason. He was there with Will Anderson 
I was coaching him up last year as his position coach and was very proud of Will Anderson and all his accomplishments as he won the, the Rotary Lombardi Award. So uh, uh, best of luck to Sal Sinceri. Man, he's been a part of four national teams, three at Alabama. He's part of the Florida State team in 2013. And that Sinceri name has just been around Saban in Alabama for so, so long. But uh, best of luck to him heading on up to play, uh, Coach for Dion. Who's putting out together a heck of a support staff. All right, let's get into some SEC hoops news. Uh, the SEC slate on Saturday, this past Saturday, uh, finished off the regular season. So now the SEC tournament bracket has been fa- finalized. Alabama did lose on the road to Texas A&M on Saturday, but it didn't matter because the Tide had already locked up the regular season championship and the top overall seed in the SEC tournament. The Aggies, Texas A&M, they were the two seed. Kentucky and Missouri round out the the top four. They will earn double buys, and they won't play again until Friday. So here's how it shakes out. Wednesday, we'll get the 12 versus 13. That'll be South Carolina against Ole Miss. After that, it'll be Georgia versus LSU, the 11 versus the 14. Then we get in the second round on Thursday. It'll be Florida versus Mississippi State, Tennessee versus the Game 1 winner, Auburn versus Arkansas, and Vandy versus the Game 2 winner. And then, uh, like we said, those top four seeds, Bama, A&M, Kentucky, and Missouri, they will all play on Friday in the quarterfinals, semifinals on Saturday, and the SEC championship game will be Sunday at 1 p.m. on ESPN. So we will uh, see who makes it through this tournament. And uh, checking in on seeding, Joe Lunardi updated his latest bracket projection early on Sunday. Here's how he's got it. He's got Alabama as the number one seed in the South. He's got Tennessee in as a three seed, Kentucky in as a seven seed, as well as Texas A&M as a seven seed. Missouri gets in as an eight seed, Arkansas as a nine, Mississippi State in as an 11, and Auburn in as an 11. Now his projection has Mississippi State as one of the final four in playing Dayton in a play-in round, uh, and with Auburn uh, they receive one of the final four buys in Lenardi's bracket. Vanderbilt, the lone SEC team on the wrong side of the bubble coming into this week. So if the Commodores can win a couple games in the SEC tournament this week, I think they can punch their ticket. I just think it's really bad if Auburn, with all their losses they've had lately, if they're one and done, if they lose to Arkansas this week in their first game, I, I think Auburn has a real good chance of not making the tournament. Um... Question on Arkansas, too. If Auburn beats Arkansas, Arkansas had a lot of bad losses in recent weeks. Could they be left out? Look, I'm all for all the SEC teams getting in, but Lenardi with eight teams, I think, is more on the optimistic side. It's going to be tough. We'll see. Some teams with some, uh, still with some stuff left to prove. Need to add to those resumes this week. And a couple other SEC hoops news. Brandon Miller, arguably the best freshman in the country at uh, top two Alabama. He was left off the John Wooden Award ballot released on Saturday. He was named to the watch list for the award back in January. But keep in mind, just two weeks ago, he's left off weekly honors for the SEC. And this likely stems from the recent involvement in the Darius Miles uh, shooting case and... Maybe the John Wooden Award folks wanting to separate themselves. It's a shame because Brandon Miller on the court, been one of the most special players in the SEC this year and all of college basketball. Been fun to watch. 
But if they left him off for that reason, it is what it is. And uh, lastly, number one seed, South Carolina women. They were crowned the 2023 SEC Women's Basketball Tournament champions, defeating three seed Tennessee on Sunday. It was South Carolina's seventh tournament title in the last nine seasons. Congrats to Dawn Staley and her crew. LSU and Kim Mulkey, they lost to Tennessee uh, late in that one on Saturday. So we were hoping for an LSU-South Carolina rematch, but that one did not happen. So congrats to Dawn Staley and the South Carolina ladies, improving to 32-0, 16-0 in the SEC. They're ridiculous. Uh, if they don't win the title again this year, something bad happened. So, it uh, man, they've just been so dominant. Been a lot of fun to watch for those who have been able to check them out. All right, thank you guys for making Locked on SEC your first listen every day. Make sure to check out our brand-new podcast, Locked on College Basketball. Everything you need to know about college hoops all in one place. Locked on College Basketball, available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Chris Gordy. This has been Locked on SEC. Later this week, we're going to get into previewing the SEC tournament, talk more about some of those uh, hoops teams that are on the bubble, trying to punch their tickets and get in, and much, much more. Make sure you subscribe to Locked on SEC. Give us a five-star review on iTunes if you could, and go check us out on YouTube. Give us some, uh, some clicks over there as well. I'm Chris Gordy. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow right here on Locked on SEC.